What I have here uh, is a copy of Donald Trump's tax returns. We have his federal tax return for one year, for 2005. I believe this is the only set of the president's federal taxes that reporters have ever gotten a hold of. Uh, what we have are these two pages, front and back, from the same 1040 form that you might have filled out when you file your taxes. Hello and welcome to Politics, the only podcast in the world dedicated to people with multiple penises. My name is Jeb Lund and I don't feel afflicted, I feel privileged. Um, I am also a sometime political journalist for Rolling Stone and a bunch of other places. And uh, joining me as always is Tim Bat. That's welcome. right. I got three dicks, two thumbs, and one home here in New Zealand. It's great to be with you, Jeb. Um, so I, I, I wanted to start this out sort of loopily because I have a, like basically just a really bad migraine, and uh, uh, and so I'm on I'm on drugs for that. Uh, so I'm going to place myself in 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 your care, and thus place the audience in your care because I should not be, uh, I really should not be entrusted with moving heavy machinery or concepts. But you're off to such a good start with the poly appendage intro. I really enjoyed that. I'm keen to hear that kind of train uh, take us through the political landscape and wherever it may lead. But also happy to take the reins if you wish. I did have one general thing that maybe Mm. you would like to speak to, and it requires no expertise, which is basically right the kind of uh, frequency I'm vibrating at right now. Um, But I, I was noticing that that, when we were watching, I think probably everybody, uh, you know, who's interested in politics, just watch Rachel Maddow reveal Trump's tax return from 2005. And it was two pages. And then as that right in that aftermath, other people sort of started tweeting about things. And I was looking at it and going, yeah, it's ancient. Where the hell is that from? And it was just a couple days before or something. But the rapidity with which we add more plot lines and then completely abandon them, I feel like I'm in the middle of what like season like four or five of something made by ryan murphy yeah i know what you mean there's a lot uh of throwing things to the wall and seeing what sticks which i think is a combination of an intentional effort by the white house at the moment and an unintentional effort by the media just to kind of you know the kind of metaphysical equivalent of selling more papers but we're here um, and I'm glad that you and your multiple dicks are, are tingling and that's the vibe that you want to kick off on because I, I, I didn't see it. The way that I, I actually um, listened to Rachel Maddow's show uh, a lot through the podcast uh-huh. and um, I just absorbed that. So you got the visuals as well, Jeb. You and your dicks got a special treat. I just got the audio bit of it. Um, can we just preface this by saying it wasn't, a massive thing that she's just revealed so i, I don't want to like tease people along um which i have to say mad our new team did a little bit they tweeted out that they had trump's tax returns and they were they were teasing some stuff online that it was going to be a huge reveal and the documents that they have are authentic but um it is a two-page summary called a 1040 form from over 10 years ago uh, from Donald Trump and Melania's joint tax return. And it, it like it's real and it's true. And it told us that they paid $38 million on $150 million of income that year, which is about 25%. And that there was $103 million in business losses. But there was no kind of smoking gun or bombshell. And I did um, kind of get the sense that she was really trying to eke 
uh, an entire show out of something that didn't warrant it. Did you get that feeling as well? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be one of those guys who's like, how dare you not have everything laid out for me? You know, when I get a scoop, I want 100% of it at once. I mean, because I just know that that's not the way this works because I see my colleagues do that. And, but I mean, I, as, as somebody reacting to the way it was sold in that really short span of time, like that we were going to have way more, I guess, uh, um, comprehensive bombshell. I think people are right to be kind of peevish about it, but, uh, uh, you know, much as I like might deplore other people kind of hectoring about this, like, yeah, okay. You know, it's sort of a letdown, but just wait for the next one to come. You know, we have, and, and these little things do kind of have to be pumped up because you, people do stop paying attention after a while. If somebody's kind of hitting a topic night after night after night, people start to tune out because they figure they can pick it up later. And sometimes, you know, these little kind of incremental developments, uh, don't wind up being paid attention to. And so people don't know that, that, it's still evolving. So I can see kind of like the impulse on both sides, but yeah. Yeah. And credit where it's true. It is, um, quite a scope, like just for what it is more than the content of it, just conceptually the fact that they managed to get it. Um, the way that it came to the Rachel Maddow show, by the way, for those who haven't kind of dug into this or seen it, um, there's an investigative journalist called David K. Johnston who said that, um, it just landed in his mailbox And he was pretty quick to point out as well that he's certainly not discounting the possibility that it came from Trump himself, Um, which I could at this point totally buy that with the heat that's coming on with the whole Russia storyline. People are starting to unravel more and more uh, details about Michael Flynn, um, who has in the last few days, in the last week, had to register retroactively as a foreign agent because of the amount of money that he was taking uh, to act essentially as a lobbyist for the government of Turkey on the American government. Um, yeah, this is a pretty good distraction to get people talking about something, and it's something that's pretty easily diffused by Trump and the White House themselves because it looks like he paid the appropriate amount of tax. It's from a very far ago period, and there's kind of not a hell of a lot to it, even though it feels like we should all care about it. Well, yeah, well, one of the things that everybody kind of says is like, well, here's a gotcha element of it. It was is that Trump had to pay a sort of minimum exemption thing, and that I, I'm spacing on the exact term, but yeah, it's like that, alternative that, minimum tax or something like that. Yes, thank you. Alternative, yeah. I was, I'm sitting here going like, I don't know what AMT is, and then I suddenly started wondering if maybe that was the brand of soccer ball I had when as a child. So, <laughs> <laughs> how are um, your painkillers treating you, listener? Yeah, How's it going great. Look, you know, uh, yeah, um, opiate addiction is a real thing. Uh, so please don't be like me. I'm not addicted. I can totally handle it. I've got it under control. I don't know why you're asking about this. Jesus Christ. Right, James. <laughs> Stay on the path, man. Uh, yeah. So in his tax plan, he wants to eliminate the, you know, the AMT. And so the gotcha is that like, oh, well, this is why he would want to eliminate it. This is totally in his self-interest. But, you know, duh, right? I mean, any, yeah, any yeah, conservative candidate is probably going to be somebody who is in danger of maybe paying a tax like this. And they would want to get rid of it. It's not a really sinister thing on Trump's behalf. Oh, absolutely. And. I don't even buy that it's down to the personal level, but it's about him lobbying on behalf of his donors who are very rich people who get affected by that sort of thing. And just briefly, I'm probably going to fuck this up a little bit, but I'll get kind of the loose philosophy of it right, hopefully. The AMT is um, basically a minimum uh, amount of tax that rich people have to pay 
it sort of caps how many tax loopholes they're allowed to apply to their tax return for a year. So there's all these different um, deductions that you can take under the American system that the IRS have for different things and the more kind of creative your finances are which generally when you are like a multi multi millionaire you have lots of different sources of income and they come from weird businesses and properties and things that have their own governing legislation with regard to tax so you can take advantage of certain um, so called loopholes or advantages you kind of add them all up and you can get off paying a very low percentage of tax your, your, what's called your effective rate and so what this AMT thing is is basically a, a part in the tax code in America that says you can only take this ceiling of uh, tax advantages against your income um, and and this is the thing which if it did not exist apparently Trump would have paid uh, like five million dollars on the 150 million dollars of income but because it and, and this is what he's um, uh, Apparently, at some point in the campaign, he said that he wanted to get rid of this this AMT bit of the legislation. Um, because it exists, he paid $38 million rather than $5 million that year in 2005. But uh, again, I, I've, I can't get too bent out of shape about it because it's just like, yeah, duh, this makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, it's... It's kind of like when the the Romney returns came out and everyone went through it and you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's just your average rich hypocrite. And yeah, (laughs) or, uh, you know, the the kind of the common one that always always gets brought up by Republican candidates is, you know, American corporations pay a 40 percent income tax. It's the highest in the world. And if you look at corporations like BP operating in America or, you know, Exxon, they, they wind up paying nothing i mean just this oh, absolutely tiny amount and like who actually the people who do wind up paying the close to that 40 percent are usually more mom and pop level but yeah i mean it was just it is, this is the same level of hypocritical cant i'm fine the only thing i thought was really interesting about that was that uh the trump you know some trump spokesman or whomever confirmed the numbers in yes. that before yeah, they did. Uh, uh, Matt went to air. So it was one of those like, okay, you know, we, we can't release our tax returns because we're being audited, but we can automatically confirm relevant round numbers the moment it becomes an issue and somebody else finds them. So I Which mean, obviously, adds the- a, a, a little bit of fuel into this fire that Trump or one of his supporters is the one who provided the, the two page summary for a tax return 12 years ago anyway. I'm going to get two tinfoil hats, but I, I, it's very yeah, possible. That- that seems way too smart for them. I mean, because what it you know, automatically does is it makes you wonder, well, how did he get to this small amount or how did he wind up having to pay that AMT? What could he have gotten? You know, how much could he have deducted and from what? And and how is he mm. losing funds here and there, you know, and with, with what agencies or with what uh, nationalities or companies or, or, you know, other partners, right? Uh, yeah. All the stuff that people want to hear about, they still want to hear about. And then they just they have this detail that automatically the administration responded hypocritically re- uh, related to their previous statements on this during the campaign and after the election that he can't release anything because he's under audit. I mean, that was always a BS explanation, but they the minute somebody else got another document, they confirmed it and they broke that seal. You know, it's and so, not even why would you open site, that inquiry? They sort of did a similar thing. Um, was it the Times that obtained that kind of one-page summary from a few years ago as well, detail, details of which escaped me at the moment? But they sort of tacitly confirmed that that was correct, but they came out ahead of this one and said that it was. Um, so here, here for me is why 
this could actually be interesting. This is the interesting angle for me. Um, the fact that it's out and the fact that if you look at the PDF scan itself, it says client copy on it. So the fact that it's got that stamp on it means that this hasn't been leaked from someone in the IRS who has the document. This is someone on the other side of it. And hopefully if they have this, they have some more details as well. So this was obtained from outside the IRS and maybe they're sitting on more stuff that's going to come out in the following weeks. Um, are, are you, is that for sure? I'm not trying to impeach you. I don't know what client copy always or definitively means. Is that what you would... That's Yeah, so they... so. Uh, well, look, it's a little bit of an assumption, but my strong assumption is that um, the client copy stamp means that that is the return that gets sent back to the client as a finalization of the form when the tax return is sent into the IRS and the internal um, copy that the IRS would retain for their records is, is put um, office use only or internal use or something similar on that one. And because Rachel Maddow, um, after taking off things like the social security number for Trump and Melania, <clears throat> after they redacted that, they did scan the whole form and it's got that client copy stamp on it. So that's kind of an interesting thing. If it was from the IRS's side of things, then... I would actually think it could it would it would sort of be less interesting for me because there's so many people who work in a tax administration um, who could kind of obtain that record and be a little bit cheeky and um, especially if it's one from 2005 sneak it out somehow after they come across it but the fact that it is on the sort of external side of the record keeping um, that suggests that it's someone who maybe has access to more than just that 2005 1040 two page summary. I'm, yeah, I'm not trying to gainsay you. I was just trying to think of other um, other reasons why that would be there. I mean, client copy could just be the, that the original was retained by his law firm or his accounting firm, and then this is the, the Xerox that they provided to the IRS, and that's why we got that. I don't know. Like, I, I really that's why I'm kind of curious about like stamping protocol on these things. I've always I'm not I've never been rich enough to to need to like have anybody <laughs> else file my taxes, so I don't if, know if how you get those stamps on there. Any taxation experts out there who specialize in stamping protocol, please tweet us at Tim underscore bat or at Mabuto, Mabute yeah. uh, on Twitter. Mobile. Um, but let's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the phonetic, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I get confused because you have slightly different ones on, on Skype and Twitter and anywho's. Uh, <laughs> To summarize, Rachel Maddow managed to get something that no one else has got, so congratulations to her. Um, congratulations to David K. Johnston, who somehow obtained these records. Uh, I don't think it's anything to get too uh, excited about for right now, but it does open the window in terms of maybe there's more in this trail of breadcrumbs that will, that will come down. Um, let's take a brief break, Jeb. And uh, considering that you're on medications at the moment, why don't we dig into a little bit of that uh, very exciting subject of healthcare? Great. Yeah. (laughs) Just pretend to be excited, Jeb. (laughs) In 10 years, roughly one in five Americans, 52 million people would be uninsured. 
Compare that to President Trump's campaign promise of insurance for everyone. I am going to take care of everybody. I'm, I don't care if it costs me votes or not. Everybody's going to be taken care of much better than they're taking care of now. Today, we pressed again. Can you stand here today and say that the president will keep his promise of insurance for everybody? I think the president's goal is to provide insurance, to make insurance available to everybody. Yes, that's what he intends to do. Welcome back to Politics, a podcast about racists and the people who elect them. Um, but we're not going to talk about that right now because <laughs> Jeb and I are going to dig into the American Healthcare Act or Trump Care, as Trump himself is not calling it. Because despite the fact that that man would put his name on a dildo if he thought he could get 15% of sales on it, he is refusing to put his own name to this bill because he simply doesn't care about it. And the reason for that is it's complicated and no one gave him a heads up that healthcare could be complicated. Poor little dude. Um, What's happened since last week is the CBO, which is the Congressional Budget Office, uh, which is an independent but government agency that tries to make financial assessments of how legislation will play out in the future and what effect they'll have on the economy. Uh, they they made an assessment, or what they call they scored, uh, the new Trump care bill, and they've made um, a, a bunch of assessments and predictions. Not a lot of them are very good for America. Um, they've said that 24 million Americans stand to lose their health insurance by 2026, with the first 14 million of those people losing it next year. Uh, they've also said that it would reduce the American deficit by $337 billion, which is good news, until you figure out that the way that that happens is by really fucking over poor people and by cutting into Medicaid, uh, which is the system that helps very low-income people get access to healthcare in America, and something that Trump vowed on the campaign trail um, that he would not be cutting into or touching. And there are mm-hmm. like some crazy examples that are coming out of the CBO scoring in terms of who's getting screwed and exactly how much by um one that uh i've sort of taken note of is if you get a 21 year old single person earning twenty six and a half thousand dollars, so someone who maybe uh forwent going to university maybe they went to a technical college something like that they're just in a kind of regular normal service industry job 21 years old under the aca under obamacare they would have paid about $1,700 in premiums on average. Under the Trump plan, it's $1,450, which is good. They actually save uh, $250 a year, if I've done that quick arithmetic right. So that's all good. But if you've got a 64-year-old person who's earning that same amount, $26,500 a year, their premium is $14,600, which is 55% of their income. They're 64, not earning a lot, $26,500. Over half of their income is now going to go to healthcare. And this is a philosophical change that has happened in deciding who should pay for what in the American society. And we're seeing Paul Ryan's libertarian-loving, Atlas-shrugged, clutching arms produce real legislation now. Because this didn't come from Trump. This came from Paul Ryan. And what it's going to do is actually a far, if it's going to affect real human beings, poor, old, sick, vulnerable people. And um, it's a bit worrying. And I'm not even in America, Jeb. I'm here in New Zealand. Yeah, I thought it was telling that one of the, the ways that Ryan bragged about it was saying, well, it's, you know, it cuts 300 and whatever, uh, you know, billion from the deficit. It's an $823 billion tax cut. And it's going to, and like, 
those were the, in fact, I think he mentioned the tax cut first and then he mentioned like actual healthcare performance second and completely forgettable and then came back to, and it reduces the deficit by, and that's what this is all about. There's not really any point in pretending it's there for, uh, for giving people actual healthcare. I mean, the, even its selling point is it gives everyone access to, which is great. I mean, like all of us technically have access to becoming, you know, NASA pilots. We could all actually go to the moon. We have access to (laughs) that. What the probability of it that is, 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 is very low. And, and like in many cases beyond you want it and are willing to work hard for it. Um, but I mean, the, the really telling thing is when you you point out those disparities in, in young and old by making it really cheap for young people to get on it, what you're doing is you're getting a lot of people paying, you know, they're going to hop on and go, Oh, okay. You know, I want to pay, I want to have insurance now, you know, because it's, it's even less expensive for me. And, um, and so they get on it and they're paying for it and then they don't take anything out of it because they're young and they're healthy. So they're really low cost. And what you're doing is you're taking all the old people who are the really expensive parts of healthcare because they're the people who actually fucking use it. Like, and you're, you're kicking them off because you're making it so expensive. And then what you're doing is you're putting that, uh, it, it automatically adding 30% to, um, uh, their premiums if they want to get back on because if, if they spend like two months off right yeah uh, then that kicks in and they've got to spend more and so that acts as sort of a gatekeeper that keeps uh, high cost uh, uh, you know high cost clients from signing up for insurance so an insurance company well, this- isn't going to get isn't going to pay out and then what happens is they 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 do like everybody who hasn't had insurance has done for a long time. They wait until they're almost dead and they go to the emergency room and then they get bankrupted and then they hope that they can stay alive until Medicare kicks in. (laughs) And just to speak to that 30% hike thing, I've got this theory and I haven't heard anyone really talk about this. So I should probably leave it to the experts, but um, that 30% hike on people who get out of insurance or, or aren't already insured and they come into the system um, that 30% hike is the equivalent of the individual mandate that they had on Obamacare. The way that it worked with Obamacare is the individual mandate was a fine that you had to pay to the government, so it was revenue that they were collecting. With this hike, it's not something that the government gets to collect. It's something that insurance companies get to charge their clients, yes. um, the people that are being insured. So I don't... It, it, all these people are saying like that there are certain insurance companies and people in the insurance industry who think that um, Trump care actually isn't as bad as people are saying. I don't think it's because they think it will work. I think it's because they're seeing these short-term potential gains with this... Um, replacement of the individual mandate with their ability to charge even more to people and they're going oh fuck it it probably won't work but I'll bet we can make a lot of money next quarter for our shareholders and I reckon that is acting as a massive carrot for spokespeople who are supporting this thing which all the independent experts seem to be saying is not a good plan economically speaking it just it doesn't make sense from a coverage point of view it doesn't make sense from a money point of view like it is just legitimately bad policy and i I, yeah again call me conspiratorial if you want but i kind of think that this replacement of the individual mandate with giving insurance companies an ability to charge their clients more is the only reason that they're on board oh no you're you're absolutely right i mean this is not this is not a, a healthcare bill. This is a tax cut bill that enormously benefits insurance companies because it mandates that, or it doesn't mandate, but it encourages young, inexpensive clients to sign up for insurance and then has a nice gateway on it that not only kicks old, expensive people off and then prevents them from coming back on, but then, you know, all the, the, the actual human suffering 
that uh, uh, that occurs from this via yeah. that old system of just wait until you're you're about to die and go to the emergency room that winds up being uh the bill for that is is foot by the the average taxpayer this the person who you know it doesn't make enough money to have a a, a firm uh figure out how to make you only pay the amt right you know the, yeah exactly you and, and I can't I really evade our taxes very well. So you and I wind up footing the bill for people who wind up, you know, dying, spending $130,000 at the emergency room dying. I, I think you've hit on perfectly the kind of difference between the Democrats and the Republicans here. And this is really a Paul Ryan thing because people can kind of forget this every now and then. But Paul Ryan was and still is, I think, way out on the right, economically speaking. And this is this is like a philosophical difference in uh, number one what healthcare legislation should be Obama and the Democrats under his White House always looked at this in terms of services delivered to people it's um it's always going to be expensive it's always going to be messy because of the complicated um, system that America has in the intersection of public services and private health insurers and that sort of thing but to try and make some gains into making the system better in terms of health outcomes for the citizenry. Whereas the Republicans, are, like, they just look at the numbers. It's everything is just about the dollar amount. It's just about the monetary value and trying to get tax cuts and look, everyone, we're reducing government. And just completely blinded to the fact that there are real world consequences to this stuff. And what we're talking about is sick people. And it just seems to, like not enter into the conversation um, nearly as much as it needs to when when you hear people from the GOP talking about this. Well, I mean, that's such an animating part of, of their philosophy anyway, though, the path, you know, the pathology of poverty. If you can't afford health insurance, it must be because you did something morally suspect or, mm. uh, you know, you, you possess an inherent lack of industry and ambition, um, you know, it's on you. And, and that's great because that, that exculpates any number of indignities you visit on other people, because you can always say that like, it, you know, they would have had a, they would have had a soft cushion from what you just did if they hadn't made the wrong decisions. So, I mean, I, this just, I kind of admire the, the symmetry of this bill. I mean, it really rat fucks <laughs> millions of people and then just, you know, passes the savings on to a bunch of you know, just fucking ghoulish private entities. Cause I mean, so like people in, you know, in, in New Zealand aren't going to understand this, but bef- prior to Obamacare, it, you didn't have insurance in America. You paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars up, uh, for it per year, but you didn't have insurance because your private healthcare, uh, your, your private insurer could just practice something called rescission where it said that, you know, according to this, uh, you know, you would, they, they were going to rescind the contract because you had failed to uphold some uh, some obscure protocol or clause in it. Uh, and then they could cap your payouts over your lifetime. So you're paying $10,000 a year in insurance, but you only get a million dollars in care. So if you Shit, get a, I didn't know that. That's yeah, crazy. So you, over you over into your it, lifetime, not even annually, in, but like they could do that for an individual across their lifetime. Yes. So like your kid gets, um, you know, thanks to some anti-vaxxer, uh, who's been reading John Birch Society uh, information, your kid gets measles. You have a really shitty insurance plan that you pay thousands into, you know, so you can get a, like a really low deductible, but it caps a whole bunch of services. So your kid gets a lifetime only like $500,000 or or a million dollars or something. And because he gets such a bad fever and he's there for like two weeks and they have to do an, op, you know, they have to trepan him or something, right? You, you, you blow through that money. Well, that's it. That's, that's his care. He's done. Man. 
I didn't realize that. So like, you know, the, the system was already unspeakably evil. And, and then yeah. we, we forced them to stop. We said, all right, no, no more denial of care for these, you know, these caps, no more denial of care for pre-existing conditions. Insurance will actually be a contract, right? A contract yeah. that one party cannot unilaterally rescind the moment it no longer <laughs> profits them. And, and you're so, not allowed to charge people more money just because they are female and gender. Yeah. Like, so, so we, we finally fixed all that. And then now, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of like a gear mechanism when you create an entitlement, like, uh, you know, the, the whole of, of social expectations kind of ratchet into place and they can't roll back. And the only thing you can do is kind of take what, what is there now, what is sort of peeking out of the machine that, that sort of, and, and, and just dissolve it or compromise it. So the mechanism doesn't work correctly. So, you know, you make abortion a right and then you, you water down and strangle the ability for people to provide abortions or you go ahead and, you know, okay, we can't go back to not having Obamacare. So they just really fucked it. Just like, yeah, just a really masterful way of taking the way it works and going, you know, how could, how could we immiserate the most people possible? And I'm sorry, yeah. I really shouldn't be laughing at this, but at some point, you know, you just sort of look on to like the, 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 uh, the monolithic capacity to, to, do harm to the most poor people possible and you know it just sort of starts to take on this this almost slapstick size to it i mean it is so big and it is so unrelenting that like in any other kind of medium other than politics we would feel this was farce this leads me to a question are they going to get away with it is this thing going to pass Uh, The Republicans who are like hiding away from these town halls and stuff, are they going to be able to vote for this, especially considering that the midterm elections are next year? What's your sense? Well, okay. So the the thing like when they came out and they were like, look, this is a much better bill because it's smaller than the other bill. Did you see that? Yeah. Oh, my God. When Spicer came out with the printouts of both. both Yeah, yeah. The ACA and the proposed Trump care bill. <laughs> Fucking was, hell, man. That it, it, did my head in. God damn it. I was like, this is this is really dumb. This is a really fucking dumb thing. Yes. And anyone who's <laughs> jazzed about this, I'm sorry, but you're dumb. This is so smoke and mirrors in such a basic elementary school show and tell kind of way that it is... It is like hilarious and absurd that this is the spokesperson for the White House doing this shit. I there was like I know there's a lot of examples of that at the moment, but they literally did a visual one, and it was just I mean SNL. I don't even know how you improve upon that because it was just such a perfect comedic moment, and he was kind of like aghast and running out of vocab himself anyway, like tying himself a nose. He's just like, "Look at them! This pile of papers way bigger than the other one. That makes it worse." <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? No, not how laws work. Well, no, like so. The the thing, the image that popped into my mind is like. Like almost like a guy was just sort of a tragic, tragically under endowed guy trying to explain to you why that's good. He's like, no, it's golf rules. It's actually better if it's smaller. Like a lot of dick jokes from Jeb today. I like it. <laughs> but uh, so like the other reason why, and probably people listening know this, but like the other reason why that was fucking funny and just absurd is, is, you know, the Obamacare was a final bill after you amend the shit out of it. And like everybody mm. kind of hops on with their pet thing and like, hey, you know, we've got a piece of legislation here. It might move. How can we fuck that up? 
So like nobody's fucked up the the Republican bill yet. And by the time they're done, you know, I can see it, it moving quite quite a bit because uh, Trump, uh, the, oh, sorry, Breitbart went balls to the wall along with like Instapundit and a couple other uh, super right wing uh, kind of idiot factor journalism, idiot factories uh, with, you know, the, the, the audio of uh, Paul Ryan back in after like uh, the, the Trump sex tape thing broke. Uh, the groping tape thing broke. He said mm-hmm. on a phone call with like a bunch of representatives, I'm not going to stick up for him. Uh, go, you know, you have your own problems in your own districts. If you feel like you don't, if it's best for you not to defend Donald Trump, go right ahead. So Breitbart and all those other outlets just started like going balls to the wall with that, that, oh, Ryan betrayed Trump. He said, I will never defend him. And we're like, you know, this is October. This is old news. But, um, uh, one of the quotes, and maybe it was a different article, was like something like Trump is the world's greatest negotiator. He's very disappointed with what's going on on Capitol Hill. And and so they seem to be signaling that they're willing to sell out a whole bunch of Republican principles um, to, to get this thing moving forward and placate the base. Uh, I, this bill is probably dead on arrival anyway. The Senate, there's already four Republicans who are going to vote against it in the Senate. So they can really, you know, fuck it up and and make it more palatable. It, it kind of remains to be seen who's going to prevail, if it's going to be Ryan or Trump, because, you know, the one kind of obverse of that is like if they just pass this Ryan bill, Trump's just going to sign it. Of course you know? he will. But, but but Trump, he wants this. He wants success for this bill as well. He wants it to pass not for any ideological reason or any policy reason, but so that he has something he can bring to the people as a trophy and say i did this thing yeah like he wants a win because that's the only thing that he ever wants is just something that he can spin into being a victory and an easy win for him would be getting after the gop has been yelling about repeal and replace for this many years to actually be able to replace the aca with a new piece of legislation he can absolutely claim that as a scalp and that's what he's got his eyes on I don't think he would ever give a shit of the contents of the bill whatsoever. It's not part of his makeup. It's Those aren't things he cares about. But it is scary because that then allows people like Paul Ryan um, to be crafting all of this legislation. I mean, we're like, what, a month in? Two, two, a few days shy of two months in now of this administration? We're like 53? And 53 That sounds days? about right. The two pieces of legislation they've tried to get past are the Muslim ban um, which died on its ass the first time and we're only just kind of getting the second version of now which they attempted to make bulletproof against challenge but it's still being challenged in courts as it's being attempted to be brought in Um, and this in the American Healthcare Act so he is looking for a win because as time goes on, new administrations generally have a lot of popularity and energy to them, so they're able to get legislation passed more quickly. If he can't get this health care bill uh, voted on and turned into legislation, then, um, I, I mean, they can kiss health care goodbye. They're not going to be able to attempt it again like they were with the Muslim ban or anything else. It's too complex. He will have expended, the GOP will have expended all of the energy and capital trying to get the first one passed. So if they can't get this one passed, that's dead. So we get to keep the ACA, which is kind of good. But I think it just takes the wind out of the sails of them kind of being able to do anything except maybe build some version of the wall, which won't be what they promised it would be because that's too expensive. But I think that's the only thing that he can fall back on now as a campaign promise that he can try and enact. 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, no, you're right. Like the, both the 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 EO and and this, those are and the wall are like the, his three core campaign things beyond like and greatness lock her up. and and China and yeah, locking her up. But like he can't do any of that. So I, you might see a lot of like flurries of activity in the executive branch. I mean, there, so the the alternative that was. Not the alternative, but the uh, one of the things that was floated last week was the reorganization of the executive branch act or whatever it was. Did you see this? Fuck no, I missed that entirely. Um, I fuck like I don't have it. I'm on a completely different computer. Why didn't I plan ahead? Um, yeah, just basically like a a well, if if we feel like these departments have overlapping functions, we'll just merge them, and if we don't really feel like this department should be doing this or this program is appropriate, we'll just cut it. And so they're they're. This was floated uh, just a couple of days ago, and I, I don't remember what happened to it because it kind of it just got lost in all the tax stuff. Yeah, right. Um, but the or maybe maybe it was just today. I mean, that's again like this time dilation thing. I can't tell you if that <laughs> happened this morning. Uh, yeah. But the 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 idea of Bannon's uh, um, uh, you know aspiration to deconstruct this the apparatus of the state, right? This is just yeah. a really easy way to do it. And you can say like, hey, we got rid of the Department of Blank, you know, all this shit that was on like Rick Perry's kill list. Uh, you know, he's, we got rid of this, we got rid of that program and it doesn't require, I mean, it re- would require the majority in Congress to sign off on it. Uh, and since so many of those guys have campaigned on streamlining government, that would be pretty easy to do, but it makes it look like you accomplished a lot, even if you wind up with the same number of people employed, and, uh, you know, it, it would appeal to their, their sense of slovenliness of just sort of like mash these things together and then let them fuck up and not do anything correctly because yeah, it so- governing it sounds badly like the, is just, yeah. Based on what you're saying, like at, uh, it's kind of the best case scenario is that it's just a bit of glamour legislation that they put on the books and it doesn't actually achieve anything, but it looks like it's reforming government and trimming the fat, but at worst, it actually does what they intend it to do, which is cut potentially entire agencies out and uh it, or, or at the very least probably defund them because that's what the republicans want to do and i mean there's there's no point in being wholesale either way like let's be adults about it there are probably big sections of the government that need to be uh looked at and reshaped and we know that within any large organization there's huge amounts of waste and with the government it's not under the same kind of microscope or um, heat to find those inefficiencies as in the private sector. So, like, it, I'm not saying that anyone who wants to make government more effective is, you know, um, some brutal hard right winger. But generally speaking, the way that the GOP talk about it and try to introduce bills to do that sort of thing is like, hey, you know what we don't need? The EPA in total. Let's get rid of it. It's like, no, hold on. I... I actually think you'll find if you ask most people on the planet, they think you probably need a stronger agency that is acting in the interest of the environment because you guys seem to ignore that quite a lot. So it's like, conceptually, I don't disagree with this kind of mood of making government more um, efficient. Who who could? That's a good thing. But the way that it's enacted when... Um, the Republicans talk about this stuff often comes out in very ideological ways, which is seeing things like Planned Parenthood's funding getting slashed, even though economically it's a terrible thing to do um, for a lot of reasons that we can kind of get into or you can just read Freakonomics and figure it out. Um, But it's kind of like this deceptive wrapper that they put on when they want to cut something on ideological grounds, they'll say that it's trimming government fat. 
and it's that's a that's a it's real dishonest and it's quite freaky and that's why you got to kind of pay attention to what the fuck they're up to like i didn't even hear about was that going to be a proposed bill jeb or was that like an executive order this kind of trimming the fat combining agencies thing well if you if you were removing secretaries then that has to i I'm, that would have to have consent of congress because they're mandated right. um if unless i'm much mistaken and trust me i could be we're, we're gonna hey, look this well, up in the break fun, and then if not it's getting cut but a fun uh, thing for us all to go and google now while we take five minutes did you want to well, um say something well, I, I was just gonna say that trimming the fat thing right this, so this is something I, I witnessed in florida this is something that's happened on the national level i had a friend who used to work at the epa and and we were talking about this and uh, this sort of phenomenon he says dude this is the entire history of the epa under conservative governments what you do is you 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 try to defund it as much as you can. You import you you appoint people who are politically empathetic or sympathetic to you, who then don't use the actual power of the agency at full strength, and then slow walk everything else. So when the EPA has to go ahead and approve some sort of use of federal land, they you you make the study take as long as possible. So even the parts of the government that still function because you can't eliminate those functions because they're baked into you know the, the creation of the agency, you make so inefficient and intolerable that you erode people's sympathy for it so they don't mind when you cut it some more. And it doesn't matter if it still exists because it's, it works best for you if this thing becomes, this agency becomes obnoxious and obstructs yeah. proper governance because you can, you, you are constantly uh, depreciating its, you know, uh, the public opinion and, and sympathy for the agency. And then you constantly kind of feed that, that disaffected public, these images of all the really great things that could make a lot of money if we just got this agency out of the way, because look, it's this red tape holding it up. Well, the red tape isn't holding it up. It's the fact that you don't have, you know, you, you're misusing it on purpose. You're misusing it yeah. and you're underfunding it. Um, Especially okay, like what? the EPA in 2017 is a pretty good example as well, because Scott Pruitt, who's the head of it, is a dude who has kind of spent his entire life trying to get the thing completely dismantled. And he is in charge of it now. Well, so he, was, like, he, he was you, suing you, it like a half a dozen times or something like that. So technically he's being sued by himself now. So that's just, it's, it's just, it's an absolute um, naked manifestation of the thing that you're talking about. Put a guy in charge of it who has spent his life fighting against it. He's going to do, if he's not going to shut the entire thing down, he's going to do enough damage so that it has a fatal wound to it. It's, oh, yeah. It's a bit one sad thing when I, you consider that like climate change is a real thing that will probably kill us within a few generations as well. But this isn't some small thing. This is potentially the most important thing that any of us should be thinking about, but we're not. Just the other thing I wanted to say, sticking up for government employees, because I'm very fond of, of many of them, um, and I watch them have to do their jobs with like, you know, where, where people who work for, for, uh, you know, a, a city or state government and they actually have to plan something that involves colors and they're given monitors that don't actually show more than like four and the tint control is broken. So they've got to somehow design something for the public via, you know, equipment that they literally makes it impossible for them to see what they're designing. Um, you know, I, I just want to say like all that waste baked in, I mean, we've been, you know, the U.S. government has been, quote unquote, trimming the fat now for over a generation. I mean, it's they've been doing it my entire, you know, for the entirety of my long term memory. There have been Republicans trying to 
decrease the funding and eliminate these these departments. And at the same time, when you do say like, well, you know, there, there's a lot of inefficiency in there. I, I would argue that there really can't be much anymore for a lot of them, a part of like outside of Department of Defense and other things that that are, are super sexy. And that, you know, if there is if there are inefficiencies, I would wouldn't be surprised to see like if most of them are baked in by the democratic process, like, you know, take the F 35, which is made in a couple dozen different States and costs like a billion dollars and doesn't fucking work. But that's because somebody said, we have to build this. And now we're going to build it in as many places as possible with as many benefits to as many different, uh, federal districts as possible. And I don't know. I mean, just, yeah, I I like government. I want to hug it. Yeah, that's a pretty good example. And I mean, it's like, how efficient do you want your government to be? Um, there's almost like this image in my head that we should, we should be creating an office where people can work a, a realistic 40-hour week and be able to take time off um, if someone in their family passes away or they have a baby or they're very, very ill. So it's kind of like if you have this incredible machine that is operating uber efficient, efficiently, the kind of flip side of that is it's generally a very cold organization that does not allow people to be human and have lives. So there is kind of like a counter to one man's government waste is another person's halfway decent employer as well. Yeah. The F-35 thing, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. But we'll get yeah, onto or, that or, in another episode. Or, well, like, hold on, I, one other one. Like the uh, Next uh, flight. Week, <laughs> I love talking about the really... F-35 though. It's an interesting program. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment to um, maybe discuss the intelligence community at large, but more specifically this Trump claim that Obama wiretapped him. Because it's fun to talk about stuff that's not real sometimes. So, Congressman Kingston, let's talk about Michael Flynn. He was fired for lying to the vice president about his connection with the Russian ambassador. And now... We have learned that he was working as a foreign agent for Turkey, paid more than $500,000 while he was working for the Trump campaign, and he just filed paperwork to make that official two days ago. It seems like that would have been important information for the American people to know, don't you think? So welcome back to politics, and I don't want to get really back on another topic for too long here, but about the Ryan Murphy uh, TV series thing that, that government is turning into, all I want I want like a really good murder and cover up and somebody to like come out in a really, really uh, shocking way. And then also clowns and ghosts um, and uh, children singing. Dude, I think you might get it with this administration. (laughs) This seems like of any U.S. president in history, this is the one to deliver you those things. It's uh, it's it's. It's all things to all people as long as all people are big fans of drama and thrillers and political intrigue and the Russians being involved and the Chi- the Chinese holding all the debt, the personal debt of the person in charge of the White House. You couldn't right? write this shit. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, if you replace the White House staff with the writer's room from Nip Tuck, I don't think anything would be different. No. This is, I mean, it feel because at the moment it feels like we are in the kind of introducing stages. We're getting to know who the characters are. They've had to kill off a couple of people already who didn't test well. Um, Steve Bannon is kind of the supervillain who they're like cultivating at the moment in the writers' room, where we have a few details on him. We know a bit about him, and there's like you know a little bit that you can dig into with his character. But you feel like 
they're hiding him away a little bit too much at the moment and that it's got to signal him coming back in a really huge way soon. Maybe when they get uh, Trump out of the way and it's it's Pence's White House, which um, now that I've struck upon that actually, because I saw that coming up a little bit today, uh, and I've got a funny feeling maybe there was a WikiLeaks tweet that um, set this off, but I did see some people talking about... Um, uh, unnamed intelligence community officials uh, discussing the possibility that they would overthrow Trump with Pence in the next month and that no one was sure if Pence was even in on it. Uh, in terms of like a, what would it be, like a thermometer or, oh, okay, like the doomsday clock, Jeb. You know that how, how many seconds, minutes or hours we're supposed to be away from nuclear holocaust and wiping ourselves out as a species. Where do you yeah. think we are on like a pence clock, which is actually pretty apocalyptic as a thought process as well? Pretty low. I mean, I, so that was supposedly, yeah, it was WikiLeaks. Wasn't it unearthing some, some like internal Clinton thing and how they wanted or it, man, like just sort as of Trump has, today. As Trump has taught us, sources are not important, Jeb. Just make yeah, your point okay. and make it as simply as possible. No, I, I don't think I don't think we're anywhere close to a Pence o'clock because anything, any mechanism that is going to get Trump out is probably going to implicate Pence at this point. Um, I mean, unless unless you suddenly got the entire Republican Party in Congress, like the entire Republican caucus going, growing a spine and saying we're going to get Donald Trump out for the emoluments clause, and I don't know why they would set the president. Sorry, set the precedent of having the Congress care about. Uh, a Republican president's ethics, uh, you know, and so they would have to go that route because the only other way I would give getting him out would be all the supposed Russia ties. And I think at this point, Pence would be implicated in knowing about it. You couldn't be on the, the campaign that long without having some idea that, you know, because the, these well, people, I mean, the, these people yeah. don't have like great OPSEC, right? Like Trump isn't creating a Chinese wall between you know, uh, uh, like Manafort and and all those other guys and Flynn and uh, Kislyak and and like you know all these oligarchs and then over yeah. here is Mike Pence and and like and he's there's no way he's keeping track of this shit he's not telling Mike Pence right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's all about which parts of it have been publicly disclosed and which connections the only bit that it seems like Mike Pence could be got on at the moment is. Um, there seems to be some people connecting the dots about the timeline with which uh, Sally Yates, the then acting attorney general, came to um, the White House and said, hey, you know how your boy Michael Flynn said that he wasn't communicating with the Russian ambassador about um, Russian sanctions? He's lying to you guys. And she only went to the White House because Mike Pence was going on all the Sunday shows saying, I've talked to Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn has assured me personally that that is not the case. And Sally Yates went, uh, we've been listening to the dude's phone calls because we tap all the foreign ambassadors and your boy's lying to you or you are knowingly lying to everyone. And then the next thing that happened is Sally Yates got fired and then they sat on that information for it's something like 13 days before they came out and um, had to take action against Flynn. So that, whilst I think it's very possible that Trump could be taken down over this Russia stuff, who knows who knows where that's going to go even in the short term. This could get really big. Maybe it won't. They have maybe kept Flynn 
enough away from it that he could become the president. He is going to know some things and he's going to have some exposure to this. But I think maybe they can limit his exposure, at least in the public eye, for enough for him to become president if there is some sort of constitutional crisis. That's my read at the moment. I don't... Yeah, I don't... I I just... I question how much you would want to preserve Pence there if you were Trump's people, right? How are... Because they are the ones who would want to insulate him from things because... uh, uh, you know they they don't want certain things to get out, and they want to like make sure that it's it's only blamed on like a limited number of people. They want to insulate Trump first and insulate Pence second, right? But if they're they're losing Trump so much so that Pence is going to be installed in his stead, right? And Trump is going to be driven out, and he's going to be impeached and convicted by Congress or something, or he's going to resign, and Pence is going to take charge. He's going to go and and find a bunch of Paul Ryan clones. Like he's not going to he's not going to keep Steve Bannon around. So if anything, it would just be tempting to go ahead and implicate him like yeah, or, or just true. not keep that, not preserve him from that, because then, you know, they, the the Republicans get President Paul Ryan. But at that point, I mean, it's going to be so compromised because they'd gone along with and prevented, you know, Ryan hasn't leaned on uh, committee chairpersons in the House to say, start investigating Donald Trump. And every single day that he drags his feet means that he is basically neutered if he ever does become president from the speakership. So, uh, you know, I can't like if you're the Trump people strike me as the sort of people who would burn down the house as they were leaving it. Um, Just out of curiosity, I've Googled the present line of presidential succession, and this is how it would carve up. Trump goes, we get Pence, then it's Paul Ryan, then Orrin Hatch, then Rex Tillerson, then Steve Mnuchin, and then James Mattis, and then Jeff Sessions. After that, that's Every a freaky one of them list a philosopher of philosopher king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> what a terrifying list of names! It's like a BuzzFeed. Um, who would you most want to have for the apocalypse? Um, every, every just, time I see Tillerson, man, I just expect. Did you see the uh, the South Park episode after that uh, Roger Goodell thing over the domestic battery in the NFL when? It was just a Roger Goodell bot, and it kept saying the same things over and over. No, sir, did not see that. I just keep expecting him to do that, and you're just gonna—he's gonna come into a press conference, and he's not gonna move his mouth, but you're gonna hear this grainy, tinny sound of Roger Goodell going, "We're working hard to get it right. We are going to work hard, and we are going to get it right." The um. <laughs> The State Department at the moment has turned into a really fascinating and I think largely underreported phenomenon that's happening in the Trump administration as well, because they cut the funding to it, I believe, by 30%. And I'm not sure that anyone has heard a second syllable out of Rex Tillerson in total on the public record at this point. They've resisted to the max doing any kind of press conferences whatsoever. And, um, oh, goodness, what's her name? Uh, Veteran reporter... Uh, at NBC. Julia Iaffe? Oh, no. no. Oh, uh, Andrea Kramer. Uh, no, uh, Andrea Mitchell. Mitchell. Yeah, you got it. Andrea Mitchell has now taken to um, turning up to these like handshake press conferences where people are allowed to take photos of Rex Tillerson shaking hands with someone and has just <laughs> attempted to single-handedly turn it into a press conference by asking him questions about how he feels with the funding cuts and he doesn't even acknowledge that she's in the room and then um, the press handlers... <laughs> 
very politely because they have to acknowledge the fact that Andrew Mitchell is quite a respected uh, veteran of the industry and just kind of shush her and move her along and get her out of the room and tell her that there won't be any questions today as if she's some drug-addled grandma who thinks that her fridge is talking to her. Um, which actually I've almost described Kellyanne Conway accidentally now, um, based on her comments in the last week. But it's hopefully there's going to be slightly more transparency going forward. They did talk about doing some more um, press conferences from the State Department involving Rex Tillerson. Maybe they're training him at the moment. The dude doesn't have any political background whatsoever. He has spent his entire adult life at Exxon. So maybe they are, like, as quickly as possible, giving him media training and figuring out how to minimize the damage he could do in a press conference. I don't know. Well, they're just adding tape loops to him. I mean, that, that motherfucker looks like... You ever see those old, like, pendulum clocks that were shaped like cats where, you know, they, they'd have yeah. the, uh, the, the tail would, would wag back and forth yeah. and the eyes would look left and right? And, like, he's like that like combined with a Teddy Ruxpin. He's just this fat idiot who can't, I mean, he just smiles and he looks left and right and left and right. And then he, like, if he does talk, what comes out is just, just fucking stupid. I mean, like this, this I think he's nervous. They're just Look, adding, I, don't wanna, like, I don't want to call the guy an out and out idiot because he's like, a, you know, to be the CEO of the largest, I think by market cap, if not right now, at some point, the, the largest business in the world is no mean feat and um i actually just recently god i was reading it for such a long time but i read uh hidden empire which is that steve cole book about like the modern history of exxon mobile and i think from memory the dude is a um doctor of uh chemical engineering or something and the managerial skills that you'd have to have and kind of you know you've got to have a little bit of a brain on you to be managing exxon mobile but um we just have like i don't had any okay. evidence of that in his current role i just i feel like these guys are just living proof of the you know the the maxim that i think not enough people realize is is pretty much true and that uh you know i think it's it's all in, it's insecurity and imposter syndrome on a lot of people's parts but like this shit ain't that hard right like there are a lot of people that you meet who have very very vaunted positions in this world and honestly this shit ain't that hard like Ben Carson is the perfect example. I mean, he's like this stud neurosurgeon. The man's a fucking idiot. Yeah, that's like, true. You, know, you got me he's there. A, he's a perfect like confirmation that surgeons are basically mechanics. They have to memorize a lot more stuff and you pay him a lot more. But like, there's not a lot of thinking going on after they kind of get the moves down. Well, some of them. I mean, like, obviously, they're very, very smart people who do everything. But like, you can meet a meathead surgeon. It's not hard. Like, yeah, that's fair. This, this like clatch of meatheads in charge of everything. I mean, all these people who've just failed upward because society hasn't had the courage to just step in and go, just hold on a fucking minute. <laughs> Look, not you. Um, I just briefly, uh, because I teased it earlier, there's a radio term for you. The allegation that uh, Trump tweeted out I, six or so days ago that Obama had wiretapped him. Um, this is an interesting little smoke screen that he seems to have thrown up that no one is coming to his aid to defend. Uh, like, literally no one, not even Trump himself, has tried to prevent evidence, present evidence to support the claim. But, like, no one even seems to be entertaining the idea that it could possibly be real. If it is, it's, it's just, I will say this, there's been kind of a whole news cycle or three about this thing already, and the... Um, Common wisdom at the moment is that there was a particular Breitbart article that was written 
which was based off of like a single right-wing talk radio rant that got published in 36 hours later. Trump was tweeting about these wiretaps. So it seems like he read this article, got the bones of it, added the wiretap bits that wasn't in the original article, and then just went ham on Twitter about it. Which, if, it's, <laughs> if we just take a breath to analyse that for a second that that's what the US president's doing, reading a Breitbart article and then adding his own spin on it and then just tweeting about it, especially when it's an allegation that the former president has wiretapped him at his home. Christ. But anyway, if we were to take him at his word, if he was wiretapped in Trump Tower as he claims that he was, the first important thing to note um, is that the president doesn't order those. That's not a function of the executive. That's not something that they can order up. That's something that the CIA, the NSA, um, or the FBI would be able to order. And the only way that they can do that and listen in and surveil an American citizen is by going to the uh, FISA court, which is the Foreign Intelligence Service Court. And whenever you hear people talk about FISA warrants, that's what they're talking about. It's this 11-judge court. They're all appointed by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and they make the determination on whether these intelligence agencies are allowed to surveil American citizens, because that's quite a big deal. And there's quite a high well, also, legal threshold I, I will that you have to meet. that they have to judge underground. It's, uh, it's in, no, it's in the law. They have to do all their judging underground. They're not allowed to see daylight when they're judging. Are you serious? No, no, not at all. Keep going. God damn it, Jed. <laughs> I just, I picture How like cool would that be, the FISA court, like you have to go in an elevator and it takes you 36 stories below the ground and you go into an actual star chamber. Like there's the big rose, like compass rose star and like red marble on the ceiling and then recessed lights and are the throwing shadows aren't. everywhere. The warrants aren't legally binding unless the order is signed inside of the pentagram that's got the candles at each point and the tip of the star has to be pointing south at all times. That's right. Call on goddess Hecate and the four winds. <laughs> now, for reference as well, the, the FISA court like isn't exactly... They don't have a lot of pushback when it comes to these requests. They received something in the order of 10,000 between 2010 and 2015 and they uh, rejected one outright and one partially of that. But part of the reason for that um, can be explained away by saying that these intelligence agencies realise that it's such a high legal threshold that has to be met when you take stuff to the FISA court that they're only taking um, cases that are ready with a lot of backing to be able to meet the probable cause um, point that they have to reach to get these warrants. So, I mean, I'm, ju- I'm entertaining a real flight of fancy here, but... Th- The thing is, is that if Trump was right, this is such a stupid thing that he said. This is such a stupid trap that he sent for himself. He's either lying to everyone, which is infinitely more likely. um, But if he's right, first of all, he's got to be technically incorrect because it's not something Obama would order. It's something one of the security agencies would. And if that's true, it means that they have made a determination that he is such a great risk to national security or there is so much suspicious evidence to suggest that claim that they were able to go to an 11 panel court of judges and obtain legal permission to surveil him underground under the watchful eye of a goat skull while numerous candles burn in a pentagram but like there's no good outcome for it he's either lying or essentially working with another government against america's interests (laughs) you get to pick one of those lying stupid or that right yeah so it you know it 
he sees something he sees a bright shiny object so the providence is even deeper than that it's like from a the only source was somebody that louise mensch uh a a, you know another massive idiot uh an ex uh english mp tory mp who now like writes about england for the guardian but doesn't live there she lives in like upstate new york or something so like good on you there hey man i can't talk um uh but yeah like so she reported it on heat street which just sounds like you know like uh, you know politics buzz yeah (laughs) dc zone (laughs) heat street uh like i feel like there should be break dancing and like some like some white kid beatboxing on heat street but uh so they reported that and then that's what mark levin called back to on his uh uh, like Louise mentions reporting that Mark Levin was dipping back to, cause this is like months old uh, on his radio show that then Breitbart wrote up. And then that was actually put in the presidential briefing. So it was given to Trump and it may have been given to Trump precisely because it would be something like he would go, Ooh, you know, about, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Apparently they let junior aides compile those things. And like, if you really want to, pretty much anyone in the inner circle can just throw an article in it, it just it cracks me up the the way that he's being served up his information at the moment to think that there's people probably my age just like oh yeah this looks good a stack of half a dozen breitbart articles and uh some glenn beck claims from six years ago we'll put that in front of the president fuck man like i don't know if you saw the ProPublica piece but they they were doing profiles of the the non-political appointees that the trump administration has appointed to a lot of federal departments that don't have to be uh confirmed by congress and there was one guy who invented like this combination bow and arrow and uh tent pole thing and believes that muslims <laughs> yeah no it's like you know i can't believe they invented it um it's like it's like that specifically is an interesting venn diagram to be in the center of uh, the bushman who would like while they're assembling their tent to be able to take down wildlife as well at a moment's notice it does like six different things and it actually i mean so this actually does kind of seem ingenious if you are a weird outdoors person i could see buying it but he also believes yeah. that like Muslims need to be exterminated and there's no negotiating with them or something like that. Um, oh, of course. Not, not, of not course. the word exterminated, but close enough that you kind of get what he, what they mean. So he's in there. Mm. There's some kid who just graduated high school and his only qualification was he was some, he was an intern at some ultra right dildo delegates firm or something like that. So he's in the department of energy or wherever the fuck he is. I mean, but this kid, I mean, he looks like he's drowning in his suit. And if you played rock and roll at him too loud, he would start pissing himself. And this guy's in charge of, <laughs> of only probably like the welfare of thousands and thousands, if not millions of people in some oblique, but I'm sure we're going to find out eventually devastating way. Yeah. Like, uh, he's, he, it's an exciting world we live in though, isn't it? <laughs> It's yeah, it's like the Chinese curse that you live in interesting times. Yeah, we're giving that a go for a while, Jeb, because we got bored of staid stability and centrism and normalcy and protecting people's rights. So let's let's try putting a twenty-one-year-old in charge of uh, the energy department, and uh, let's try making the leader of the free world's um, chief kind of information officer just a, a racist who used to run a, uh, a right-wing news outlet which has only come to prominence by kind of banking on people's worst fears and the uh in the aftermath of a financial crisis let's let's do all these things and more because we can yeah no and, and somebody pointed out today and i wish i remembered who because it was such an apt description bannon looks like i mean 
I, I, I don't know why I, I don't know why I'm reducing it to looks again, I guess, because of just the sheer impotence, like in, in the face of everything they're actually doing. So I'm just like, yeah, well, he looks stupid. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that like, being said, make your insult. He looks like the, you know, he looks like what you imagine every customer to a Thailand sex tourist hotel would look like. Like if you just sort of imagine him in like madras shorts and like a really shitty kind of like Guayabara shirt or something walking in and going like, where are the ladyboys at? Well, that highbrow political analysis seems like the perfect place to leave the episode this week. Uh, Jeb, thank you so much. How can people find you online? Um, well, they can find me at uh, facebook.com slash, isn't it politics? Is it just politics that's there? Um, yeah, I think so. They can contact oh, me maybe through. it's Politics Podcast, actually. Maybe, let me, yeah. Let well, me check. They could contact me there or uh, my other podcast, slash This Week in Atrocity, or on Twitter at Mobute, M-O-B-U-T-E. And where, where may they find you? Um, guys, I've just double-checked. It's Politics Podcast. Someone else has snapped up Politics, unfortunately. Um, such a great joke. Some, we thought we got to first. Some other sophisticate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or if you want to find me, uh, facebook.com slash timbatcomedian. Oh, don't use that one, though. Unless you live in New Zealand, then you should keep your eye on that one to track my shows. Um, but Twitter's the place for you. Twitter.com slash tim underscore bat. Been a pleasure as always, Jeb. Um, we'll be back again next week to dissect whatever craziness has happened in the last seven days. Otherwise, may you all w- live in interesting times. <laughs> The Trump administration faces a deadline today to turn over evidence supporting the president's claim that his campaign phones were tapped. Key figures in both parties say they've seen no proof to back up President Trump's charge made more than a week ago now.